This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. I want you guys to all um, know where we're heading and for, for those who are uh, maybe a little younger here, I want you to know where we're landing. You know, it's like, hey, where, where's, this, where's this plane going to land, right? And, uh, and so you'll kind of know where we're at uh, throughout this. But the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about um, the fullness of God and thanksgiving. And so uh, if you're looking at the notes or the screen, we do know how to spell thankful, okay? I want you to know that. Uh, but we're kind of, today, we're going to talk, we're going to put the full into thankful. We're going to talk about the fullness of God. And maybe that's a new concept, but I, I hope that you'll leave here understanding <clears throat> that emptiness is a reality. So we understand that we're not in a good world. So when you, see, when you sing songs like this, that God is good, sometimes you look around and you're saying, no, he's not. Well, no, no, no. God can still be good even when the world is not. I think that's important. And the other thing I think is important for us to understand <clears throat> is that God gives us a choice. That the choice that we receive from God is a gift of his goodness as well. And so when you have a missionary who, who gets up and, um, you know, says things like, man, people are going to spend eternity in hell. Sometimes it's like, whoa, whoa. I mean, whoa, that was, that, now I'm awake. Well, that's talking about the choice that God gives every single person in this room not to spend eternity with him. So God wants everyone. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God wants to spend eternity with you. In fact, he doesn't just want to spend eternity with you. He wants a relationship with you right now. And that relationship is not something he will force on you. Just like any relationship, to be forced into it is not much of a relationship at all. So God gives you the choice to be in a relationship with him today we're going to talk about what happens when you enter a relationship. What does he fill that's empty? I don't know about you, but I've felt empty before. We're going to address that emptiness, but first let's pray. God, we come before you and we need your word to do your work in our heart and in our lives. God, the illustrations or the stories or anything else that's used today has no power. But God, we do believe that your word has power. And Lord, we do believe, not just based on our faith, but based on the evidence that, God, you sent your son. We know Jesus existed. We know he died and rose again from the dead. And Lord, now we're trusting that Jesus is our way to connect with you. And so God, I pray that you would use these verses that we're about to read from 1 Thessalonians 5, and I pray that you would use every other verse to really impress upon our hearts what it means to be full in an empty world. In Jesus' name, amen. When you say your name, okay, that is how you identify yourself to others. So you say, 
I am, I would say, I am Peter. You wouldn't say I am Peter unless your name is Peter. But you say, I am whatever. And so I want to practice that because a bunch of new people here and, and, and we have new, new people all the time in new life. And so I want to just practice that introduction. If you are an introvert, I'm so sorry. I'm about to pull you right out of your shell really fast, okay? But, but just, just I'm going to say one, two, three, and then I'm going to say I'm Peter. You say your name, okay? You, you guys get it? It's pretty easy, all right? One, two, three, I am Peter, right? And everyone, that was a beautiful chorus, okay, of, of names. Now, you didn't really do a whole lot to choose that, okay? Your parents chose that for you. And if you didn't like it, then you chose something else later, (laughs) right? But there are other ways that you identify yourself to others. Some people say, well, I'm an athlete. You know, I'm a runner. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a... Some people identify as, I'm a foodie, right? Any foodies in the room? I like food, right? Have you ever noticed that foodies are, are not dietitians? Have you ever noticed that, right? Because the food that's good is not good for you. <laughs> uh, some people might say, I'm a millennial, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Zoomer. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a boomer, whatever it is. You have something that identifies you. Now, in the first century context, the, the church at Thessalonica was the first church that Paul started. It was the first letter that he wrote to a church. And friends, the letters that he was writing were not just notes that were inspirational. They were from the mouth of God that were penned by him, but it says that they were inspired, not inspired like he was inspired, like an artist would be inspired, but he was breathed upon by God. It's the word for God breathed. And the breath of God, the ruach is the Hebrew word, the, literally the, the God moved him to write these verses. And we're going to study two of them today, two of them next week. But in these four verses, there are five concepts that Paul was saying, hey, these are things that you really need to identify If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, now listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, these are still good, but I will tell you that they are impossible to hit without Jesus. I'm just going to give you that right up front. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse number 15, it talks about forgiveness. So don't render evil evil, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but follow that which is good among yourselves and all men. So that's talking about releasing, that's talking about forgiveness. So He's saying, you need to be a forgiver. So he's like, hey, I am Paul. And in verse 15, I am a forgiver. And you should be a forgiver. And then these are all imperatives. So verse 16, he says, rejoice evermore. So I am joyful. Let's practice that. I am joyful. All right. Sometimes we have to tell our face that and our heart that, right? Like, hey, I'm actually, I can be joyful. All right. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. I am connected. I am connected to God. We'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about, and everything give thanks. I am thankful for this is the will of God. I am accepted. I am loved and I have purpose. We're gonna talk about those things next week, but this week I'm gonna talk about being a forgiver and being thankful, of course, but how there's fullness in thanksgiving and forgiveness and there's joy there as well. Now, 
the church at Thessalonica was located right on this beautiful harbor. I've, I've sailed through this harbor. Um, it is, it is the, the same harbor. Obviously, there's lots more buildings and architecture and, and uh, centuries of different things. But um, it's a beautiful city. And it was a beautiful city back then. It's a beautiful city today. Um, but these were the streets that Paul would have walked down. This, this is a picture of the streets um, of the Agora there, the ancient city of Thessalonica. They call it Thessaloniki. Um, and, and these were the stones that Paul would have seen. These were, the, these were actually the tunnels that he would have slipped out of because they were angry that he was saying that you should be a, defined as a Jesus follower. Why were they angry? They were angry because in the first century context, Ro- context the Roman Empire, you identified yourself not by your last name. They didn't use last names. You identified yourself based on where you lived and who you serve. So they would say, my name is Peter, and I am from Thessalonica, if I can say it, Thessalonica, and I am a Roman. And every day they would pray allegiance to the Roman government. They would thank Caesar for the security and the peace and the provision that he had given to them. And so to pray to someone else like this Jesus guy, that seemed crazy. We pray to Caesar. We owe our lives to Caesar. And so you have Paul, who was completely countercultural, trying to tell them about this Jesus and basically making a case in the first five chapters of this. And it's, it's, a, it's a letter, but by the end of this first part of the letter, you start to realize, hey, you are completely empty without Jesus. And I would tell you that that seems like a really bold claim, but it is a claim that has come true in my life over and over again. You can try to fill yourself with possessions. You can try to fill yourself with experience. You can try to fill yourself with feelings and other people. But friend, you will always be empty until Jesus has filled the God-shaped hole in your heart. And that's the key thought, is that there is a hole in your heart. There is a hole in your soul, if I can say it that way. And Jesus came to fill that hole in our hearts that no one or nothing or, or anything can fill. Jesus is the one that is the fullness. In fact, in, in John 1.14, it tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In two weeks, we're going to be starting a series called God With Us. And we're going to talk about what does it mean that God has come down to us. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was full. But then John says, hey, I, I bore witness of this guy because he, Jesus, verse 16, his fullness we've received and we've received it from grace to grace, grace for grace. You see that there? Grace from grace. What does that mean? It's being filled from moment to moment from trial to trial, from difficulty to difficulty. Sin abounds, but grace does much more abound. And so in Ephesians, he was writing to the church at Ephesus, but he says something similar. He says, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. There is a fullness that comes through God that that all of the hearts in this room are longing for, including mine. I want the fullness of God because it will bring things that are exceedingly abundantly what I could ever ask or think, verse 20, 
according to the power that works in us. So there is a power, and you can say that that power isn't accessible to me because I'm not a church person. Or you can say, like many others have, I tried that, but the power wasn't accessible. It just wasn't. You can say that, but the power is always accessible. And there are two principles um, on fullness, on fullness that will, will really approach the emptiness in all of our hearts and in our world today. Number one, I want you to see that fullness requires the choice to rejoice. Did you know that rejoicing is a choice? That joy is a choice? Now, this is, this is a, a command here. It says rejoice evermore in verse 16. But the word rejoice here is Cairo. It means to celebrate, be glad, be cheerful, be thankful. And it's interesting that that command is echoed throughout all of the scriptures. Jesus even rejoiced in Luke 10, 21. He, he rejoiced in his spirit. Now, why would he rejoice in his spirit? He did not rejoice because he had power. No, he said, in fact, in verse 20, it's in your notes, Luke 10, 20, he says, hey, don't rejoice just because you have power over the spirits, over the, over the evil one, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. At the end of the book, Revelation, it says that there are two groups of people at the end of time and at the end of your life. There are people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, not in your own blood, but in the perfect sinless blood of Jesus Christ. And so that is what the Bible says. Now, whether or not you believe it or not is a total gamble on your part, but I will tell you this, that God has given us this revelation to encounter us in a way that we have never been encountered with before. And he is saying, I wanna give you an opportunity to have your name sealed in the book. No one can take it out. And he said, I'm gonna give you that opportunity, but it's just a choice you make. It's a choice you make to have your name written there. And that choice brings much joy and rejoicing, Jesus says. Um, and, and in fact, he rejoiced because of it as well. Even children can understand and, and encounter God. In fact, verse 21 says that, that it's not the wise and the prudent, but God has revealed himself unto children, unto babes. So, so not babies, it's not talking about, it's talking about people who, the reason why it uses that word is because it's people who are brand new to the faith. It's babes in Christ, right? D the Bible uses that term, like, like young in faith, or those who are young enough and simple enough just to, in faith, receive God's good gift of salvation. So once we receive that, and by the way, at the end of every service, we give an opportunity for people to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But once you receive that gift and you are his child, then the command is to be joyful. Be glad in the Lord, the psalmist says. Rejoice, ye righteous, shout for joy. So how do we obey this command? How do we obey the command to be joyful. Well, the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit's joy, the result of the Holy Spirit's joy, and then it tells us in Ephesians that we are to be filled with the Spirit. So to be filled with the Spirit's, to have the source of joy, to have that joy. But many times we are lacking that joy. So what's the obstacle? What's, what gives? Why don't we have the joy? And I'm not talking about happiness because that's circumstance, 
that's based on circumstance. I'm talking about real, lasting, authentic, full joy. How do, where, where's the breakdown? And I will tell you over and over in Scripture, it tells us the breakdown is when we become our own God. We become the center of our own universe. And so here's a key thought, and I forget who said this, but this was a good quote, that to be full of self is really be empty of joy. And you can say it the other way as well. To be full of joy means you are empty of self. So there's a very interesting topic in, in the scripture. I didn't talk about this the first service, but I really felt led to, to, to kind of lean this direction. And it's the fact that Jesus said, the tighter we hold on to our lives, the greater we lose our lives. But the more we tend to let go and trust God's plan for it, the more we actually are able to receive. The more we block out the things that God wants us to receive, the more we are the lesser, really. And so let me explain it to you in, in a real world uh, illustration that happened a few years ago, more than a few years ago. It was probably, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Chandler was, I think, two. And this is a picture of him in our backyard. And a lot's happening in this photo. And this was my, this was, this just popped up on my phone as a, as kind of a memory. And, and uh, there was a few things going on here. First of all, um, this little dude was so active. I mean, look at all the bruises on his hands and knees. And I always had to explain to people, listen, this dude's active. Like, I, I promise I'm not abusing him or anything. Like, this is like, this is just an active kid. And, and, and the thing is, I remember in this moment telling him something that he needed to hear. And he was, as a very obedient child, just putting his hands over his ears so he couldn't hear my instruction, right? The, the, the thing that he wanted to do superseded what I was asking him to do. And so he was like, no, <laughs> if I can't hear you, I don't have to do it. And so a lot of people in, you know, in, in life, they're like, hey, why would I go to church? Because if I don't hear it, pfft, I'm good. And what I would ask is, how's that working? Because many times what we think we're ignorant to, we already know inherently, God's already written it on our hearts, like this is something I want you to do. And so I would encourage you, uh, to understand that, that there's a principle in scripture of joy being a choice. And so letter A, I want you to see that joy is a product of the right perspective. Now we've covered some of this material already, but I wanted to kind of back these two points right up next to each other and compare them. Because if, if, if joy is a choice and a perspective at the same time, then I have to ask myself, if I don't have joy, then what's wrong with my perspective? And I will tell you, a lot of times in my perspective, it's letter B. And letter B is that there is always a reason to rejoice. Now, the opposite is true as well. There is always a reason to complain. Have you ever noticed that? There's always a reason to, to be down. There's always a reason to, to, to have that, you know, that, that feeling of, man, I can't get a break. And when it rains, it pours and it's never going to get any better and, and, and all of this. But the, 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 the command is to rejoice evermore. And that means at all times, in any situation, 
And Paul went a step further to the church at Philippi. He was in prison, but he even said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, because I'm just kind of a practical guy and, you know, I have to think through these questions and I never want to, I never want to kind of withhold the process of how I, I read a verse like that and I'm like, whoa, 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 time out, time out. Paul, you, you living in the same world I'm living in? Because like I deal with some pretty crazy stuff, not some days, every day. And I mean, I'm talking death and, and, and horrible, horrible diseases and, and lots of heavy stuff. Now, good stuff too, but I mean, I'm looking at some situations and I'm like, all right, you, you, you get a pass. You, you, that, that rejoice always, you have a pass for that. But then I started to realize, wait a second, when it says rejoice in the Lord always, it's not saying don't be sad. There is a time to weep. Did you know the Bible says that? It even commands us in, in uh, Romans 12, 15, to weep with those that weep. But it also says to rejoice with those who rejoice. So, so when it says to rejoice in the Lord always, what, what, what are we talking about here? And I want to just go back to the words of Jesus because I have nothing brilliant for you for that. So let me tell you what he said. In John 16, verse 33, it says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Like you're gonna have sadness. You're gonna have difficulty. You're gonna have things that are gonna tear you apart. In fact, tribulation, tribulum, that's what it means. It means to be grounded as fine dust. Wow, that's, that's pretty brutal. But he says this, he doesn't, doesn't start. He said, but be of good cheer. Wait a second, Jesus. You just said we're gonna have tribulation. Uh, what do you want us to do? Be fake Christians? Be of good cheer? No, he's saying, hey, you're gonna be sad. There's gonna be difficulty, but I never want you to take that sadness out of context. I want you to put it in context. And the context that he wants us to put it in is I have overcome the world. How many of you believe that Jesus has overcome this broken world? That Jesus can overcome anything he already has. And so he's saying, hey, listen, I want to give you this fullness, but you have to choose it. In fact, he talked about that choice. And it is in John 15, 11, He says, I've spoken to you these things that my joy, not your joy. We don't have a reason for joy. We have a reason for sorrow, but he has a reason for joy. So he said, my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be what? Full. That your joy might be full. Now, here's what he thought. That our joy, in order for our joy to be full, we have to be full of God's reasons to rejoice. Because listen, I can, I can actually come to points in my day where I'm like, ah, there's no reason. I don't, I, don't, I don't see any reason to be rejoicing right now. And it generally is something that's disappointing. Generally, when I travel, these things happen. Delays, missing a flight, flat tire, whatever. You know, you're like, there's nothing to rejoice here. And God says, no, no, no. There's always a reason to rejoice. No matter what is happening, there is always a reason to rejoice because Jesus gives you those reasons. So I would encourage you, uh, church family, if you haven't done this or you're not doing this during this month of Thanksgiving, I would encourage you to write down all the reasons you have to rejoice and praise God for each one of them. And I will tell you that this will naturally take you 
out of the focus of yourself and all your problems and all the things that are going wrong and you'll start focusing on what God has done that is good and right and he will start to transform your perspective from the inside out. David does this. He, he talks about the, the blessings of the Lord and it's so awesome. He says in Psalm 68.3, he says, he says, let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice. Be exceedingly glad and rejoice. Sing praises. We did that this morning. Verse five, why? Why do we sing praises? Why are we glad? Well, because God is a father to the fatherless. Wow, that's a reason to rejoice, that God loves those that, that didn't have a father present or, or that don't have a father now, that he loves them as a father, a good heavenly father. He's a judge of the widows. And is God in his holy habitation, meaning he's present, he's there. And then there's two, there's two actual ministries, literal ministries at New Life that are starting out of the next verse, verse six. I want you to see it. God setteth the solitary in families, meaning he knows the people who don't have a family and he takes them and places them into families. And we have several families at New Life that are bring, welcoming foster kids and helping with adoption. And they are, we're doing this as a ministry. And, and I can't wait, man, for Vision Sunday, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking about the structure that we've been developing the last six months uh, for this ministry. And we have a name for it. And, and, and we're moving forward because God is the one that sets Young people who don't have a family in families. By the way, uh, in, in Ethiopia, they're doing that. They're taking these hundreds of thousands of kids who, who, have been, who are now orphans because their, their parents have been killed in the Civil War and they're putting them in orphanages. Like how awesome is that? But that's God using them. And so, and so you know, I've had some teenagers say, man, all those missionaries, they're like, they're weird. And they're not, you know, this or that. And I'm like, Bro, they are the hands and feet of Jesus. They are going to the ends of the earth and they are doing what God has, has called all of us to do here. But then also another ministry that we've been itching to start, we started it right before the pandemic and had to kind of push pause, but, um, but he bringeth out those who are bound with chains. And uh, we have uh, some that have helped and e even a couple here that have kind of introduced me to some of the materials. We have uh, Celebrate Recovery and some other programs that we have uh, partnered with and, and some materials because uh, we want to help those in chains uh, receive freedom from bondage. And I will tell you that, that even in Palmdale, California, that there is a lot of emptiness to go around. We have more uh, foster children uh, per capita than any other city in LA County. And I will tell you uh, that there's a great need and I could talk about the addictions and I could talk about all of the different needs, but I will tell you that those needs are to be met by people like you and the key to your joy is how much you're willing to give it away. So I want you to know that fullness, fullness is a choice to rejoice, but it's not just a choice to rejoice. Number two, I want you to see that fullness focuses on outflow. What, what does it mean when a pastor stands up and says something like, you can only have joy if you're willing to give it away? Well, like, what does that mean? Like, is that a ploy? Like, is that, is that real? Well, I want, you, I want you to see this in scripture. And I'm gonna give you some, some visuals. That's just how I, how I work, how my mind works. But I want you to see letter A, that 
the focus of forgiveness is outflow. It's, it is to release. It is to release. The focus of forgiveness is to release. And we have a whole series on forgiveness coming in 2022. So I'm not going to dive too deep into this. And I'm not even going to get to all the quotes that are here or the verses that are here. But I do want to tell you a couple things of, that this passage says. It says, see that you render evil for evil unto any man. No rendering evil to evil. Meaning, no, no, no. We're not going to, we're not going to, the verse here says render evil. It literally means to, to shove back, to put it back in someone's face, to say, I'm going to make you pay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to concentrate on everyone else's wrongs and not my own. And I love this word, apodidomai. It literally means to be focused so much on the repayment of something that someone has taken from you that you lose the greater reward. Man, I've been there. I've seen how God has given me an opportunity to release And in reality, I wasn't able to release because I wanted so desperately to hold on and to control the situation. I've given you lots of verses in your notes. I would would encourage you to read through them, but here's a key thought. It's just to summarize. Unforgiveness, it empties the soul, but seeking to follow that which is good fills the soul until it's full. It fills the soul until it's full. Forgiveness means to be willing to give up control in order to receive the greater blessing. Let me illustrate it this way. There's a young man who was born in Texas. His name was Dwight, and he was born into a family that was very troubled. Dwight was uh, living in a house that was filled with, I'll just say, injustice and, and, and some terrible things that happened. This is his home that he was born in. Finally, it got so bad that his family moved to Kansas and they moved to a beautiful area of Kansas where uh, there were lots of uh, uh, cherry trees and peach trees and apple trees. And, 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 and he spent most of his time outside, but because of some of the things that happened when he was younger, when he was 10 years old, he was filled with ra- rage and anger and unforgiveness, a, a bitter spirit. And he was so upset by what had happened. This young man would go out to the orchard and he, and, he, and he didn't have anyone to take out his anger on. And so he would literally punch the apple trees and the cherry trees and he would punch them so hard that his knuckles and his hands would begin to bleed. And on one of these days, he got so angry with himself. He couldn't forgive himself. And with others, he couldn't forgive others. And he was sobbing in his bed as a 10-year-old boy and his mom came over him knelt by his bed and she stayed there for quite a while. In fact, he remembers it was about an hour and didn't say a word. By the way, moms, your silence speaks volumes. Just your presence is enough. So she stayed there and he started to calm down. She didn't want to preach to him or anything like that. She just said, Dwight, I want to read you a verse. And she read the verse in Proverbs 16 about how those who are slow to anger have control over their spirit better than those who are mighty, who, who, who say, ah, I'm big enough, I'm bigger than you, and I'm going to show you, right? You know? so, so the greater person is the one who has control over his anger and forgives. He said that was such a transforming moment when he was 10 years old that he remembered that verse, and he, 
And he practiced something that in the business world and actually in counseling, they practice it even to today. He would take the the name of someone who had wronged him and what they had done, and he would write it on a piece of paper and he would sign his name and the date, and then he would put it in a drawer and he would lock it. And he did this over and over again. Finally, he was in the military during World War II and he actually led the entire allied forces against Germany and Nazi Germany. And he saw so many horrific things, the drawer started filling up. He carried that drawer all throughout his life and his name was actually Dwight D. Eisenhower. And in the Oval Office, he would have this drawer that he would open up and he would, he would actually, the, the mean things that were said to him, uh, surprise, surprise, people say mean things about presidents. So he would take these things and he would, instead of internalizing them, instead of making them, uh, make him angry or resentful or something that he would have to lash back out, he would write them down and he would put them in a drawer in the Oval Office. But this time he put another note on the outside of the drawer and it was this verse in Hebrews. In Hebrews, I put it in your notes, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 14, it says, follow peace with all men. Hmm, ouch, all men without which you shall, you, you, you can't see the Lord. You, you're not going to see what God's doing if you're not willing to release and follow peace. Looking diligently, lest any man should follow the grace of God, meaning it's God's grace that, that we're all sinners saved by grace. Like none of us have the ability to say, I'm better than you or, or, or you've, you're worse than me because you did this. Well, hold on, time out. We're all bad. So that's the grace of God that gives us that, that says, hey, grace levels everything. It's level at the foot of the cross. Lest any root of bitterness will spring up and trouble you. And so Dwight D. Eisenhower said, I don't want to be troubled by my past and by my bitterness. I'm going to release this. And so here's an action item. Instead of following and tracking every wrong thing that's done to you, begin to release what's been done to the Lord and keep track of what is good. Listen, if our society was more obsessed about being thankful for the good things instead of being obsessed about the evil things or the wrong things or this person did that or that person said this or this, you know, this government person or that, you know, this Dr. Fauci, whatever, you know, whoever you want to be, you know, listen, we can be obsessed with all of what is unfair or we can be obsessed with thanking God for what he has given us and trust him with what is outside of our control. And so, listen, the outflow is all about releasing, but letter B, I want you to see, and finally, and we're finished, that the outflow of joy <clears throat> flows from identity. And we started here, so I wanna end here. I said that Paul was shaping identity <clears throat> in this passage. And the identity that he's shaping here is the identity of a Jesus follower. Now, a Jesus follower is someone who identifies with who Jesus is and who God has made you to be. So it's not just about who Jesus is, but it's who you are in Jesus. I did a waterfall because I have no idea whose water this is. So please pray for my health. <laughs> the outflow of joy comes from us knowing who Jesus is and pursuing it passionately. It's kind of like the guy who was loading up some stuff in Japan. He was loading some stuff up. I think we have a video of it. And, and the load was a little bit too great and it took off, okay? And so now he is running after 
the great merchandise, right? And I have no idea if he tracked it down. We will never know, right? So, but the reality is we're all chasing something. And you can chase happiness, you can chase experience, you can chase pleasure, but you will always be left empty. Why? Because it does not, uh, it, it does not fill up who you were made to be. Your identity is either a child of Jesus Christ or a product of your own greatness. And so Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall neither perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Meaning if you're a child of Jesus Christ, you've given your life to him. No one is ever going to change that. That is who you are. That's your identity. In fact, let's go back to President Eisenhower. President Eisenhower was so defined by being a follower of Jesus Christ that Billy Graham was sitting down talking to him about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He was already president. Eisenhower was. He was in his first term and Billy Graham mentioned to him, hey, listen, the first step of following Jesus after you become a follower is baptism. It's not something you do to get to heaven. It's something you do to let everyone know you're on your way to heaven, right? And Eisenhower was the first and only president to be baptized while in office. He was so passionate about being a follower of Jesus Christ he identified with it. And so we are to be followers, verse 15, of that which is good. And the word good is um, agathos. It literally means to be kind or generous, to be willing to release, like we've said, to really be willing to have the outflow of good based on what has been given to you. And so when we pour into others, Joy and thankfulness gets poured into us. Thankfulness is not something you say, it's something that you are. You are thankful. I am thankful. That's why we called this I am thankful because that is something you are. You identify with it. And so before we close, I want to just give you a practical illustration of this because I used to think of joy and and forgiveness and everything as a state of mind but I want to try to twist that a little bit based on what the scripture says because what we're doing is we're wrapping how we feel and what we believe and how we, how we think and operate around what the Bible says. So Jeremiah, I want you to bring up my uh, breakfast. This is what I had this morning, Apple Jacks. Okay, Apple Jacks. And, and I'm going to have an egg here as well. And I want to just kind of show you with using some breakfast items. And again, this is how my mind works. So I, I, I apologize right up front. I'm not sponsored by Apple Jacks. Uh, I'm sponsored as much by then uh, as the egg. Okay, so, um, but, but look, just go with me here. I use, I, I use an egg often in counseling because it represents, the yolk represents the offense, And often there's a shell around an offense, something that we've been holding onto. And there's tension that holds that yoke inside. And so if I take something that's an offense and if I I hold on to it, and I'm like, no, I'm not giving it up. Mine, my precious, you know, like it's mine. You can't have it. This is, this is my offense. This is, this is the thing. What happens is we get very attached to the very things that we're resentful about. We start to define ourselves. Well, that's just who I am. And so in scripture though, it's not a, forgiveness is not a state of mind. It's a choice we make based on how God defines us. 
So we are forgiven. So therefore, we are forgivers. I am a forgiver because I have been forgiven. Do you guys get that? It's not predicated based on what someone else has done or says. It's based on what Jesus has done and what he says. And I know that's really tough because there's no one in this room that knows more of the crap that's been done to everyone in this room than I do. But I want you to know that I have stuff too that I've had to release. And the way that you release it is not by, not by, oh yeah, you want me to release this? Woo! No, no, no. That doesn't help you or them. But, but, but here's, the, here's the thing. If the, if the yoke is, is that thing, if you will say, okay, I, I know this is messy and it's tough and, there's, and, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do this, but I'm just going to, I'm going to let that go. And it was really hard and it really hurt me, but I'm just going to let it go. The moment you let that go, it has usefulness. If you put this in a pan, trust me, it's not useful. For all the bachelors out there, man, you got to put the yolk in the pan, right? We all know that. But we try to live our Christian life without addressing what's under the surface. And instead, what ends up happening is, is, we, is we subconsciously think, well, if I hold on really tight, it will hurt them. No, it's actually hurting me. No, like literally, it's hurting me right now. <laughs> like it's hurtful. Yoke was, or these shells were not meant to be grab, you know, gripped as hard as I just gripped them. But I want you to know something, your offense will crush you. It will ruin you if you're not willing to release it. And so you say, well, how? That's really easy for you to get up there and talk about, but it's really hard to release what my, you know, my parents did when I was young or what my spouse did two weeks ago. It's really hard to release it, Pastor. You just can't get up there and act like it's so easy. I'm not acting like it's easy. But I am telling you that it's possible. And I am telling you this, that God has given you just enough measure of grace to be able to every day, instead of hold on to the energy you have or the offense you have or the resources you have or the abilities you have or the time you have, what if the key all along was saying, I'm going to take what I have, and it's not much, but I'm going to give what I have to those around me and to God, and I'm going to just sow it as a seed, and I'm going to let God fill up my life. My fullness is not going to be up to me or what others say about me or what others do to me, but my fullness is gonna be me trusting that if I give what's in my hand, God's gonna give me what's in his. And by the way, can I give you a newsflash? His hand's bigger than yours and his strength is greater and his resources are greater. So friend, I don't know what's in your hand. Maybe it's an offense and you've just been, ugh. it's just you've been grinding on it for a long time. The more you grind, the less useful it is. 
But I will tell you, if you give what God gives you, if you pour into others, there will be joyfulness, there will be forgiveness, there will be strength poured into you that you've never been able to do on your own. So here's the takeaway and then we'll pray. It is this, that there are those who are full of joy, but they are empty of self. And they are filled with the Spirit. So if you're here and you're not filled with the Spirit, listen, there's no spooky stuff going on here. It's receiving Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit of Jesus. So you're receiving Jesus Christ. And when you're full of the Spirit, you're full of joy. But the catch is, you can't be full of joy and thanksgiving and forgiveness and full of yourself at the same time. So we've got to release ourselves. The Bible calls it dying to self and to take up our cross and to follow good, follow Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.